The fastest hour in sports radio is here. This is the greatest moment in my life. On the Big 550 KTRS. Team sports will keep you away from temptations like rock music. It's Sports Sunday, and it starts now. Oh, my goodness. Here's Brendan Weesey. Sunday morning, St. Louis at Sports Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. I'm Brendan see Howard Morton, our producer. We're taking you up to 12 o'clock this morning. A lot happening here. The first February weekend is, uh, well, starting to wind down a little bit. Gorgeous day yesterday, a little cooler today if you're going to be out and about. Let's get you everything that's happening right now ben fred with me later for some tiger tales we're going to visit with tom timmerman tell us about a little st louis city sc soccer in their first uh, well first exhibition game out west as they played at the la galaxy yesterday afternoon all of those details here in uh, just a few moments mizzou basketball they're now 0-9 in the sec they lose to vanderbilt yesterday 68 to 61 this starts to feel a little bit like rock bottom but then again, you think there are plenty of games still to play. So Mizzou could seemingly run the table in the wrong way and not win a single game in the Southeastern Conference. They got a couple, they got back-to-back home games coming up. Texas A&M Wednesday, Mississippi State then next Saturday. None of those games are particularly intimidating. But after this past week where you get destroyed by Arkansas, then Arkansas gets destroyed yesterday by a mediocre LSU team. And then you go to Vanderbilt and uh, you you hang in the game again, but that doesn't cut it. I, this We don't get to make an excuse this time and say, well, at least they're in the game until the very end. Vanderbilt, one of the worst teams in the country, certainly the worst team in the SEC, although maybe now we got to face facts. Mizzou might be the worst team in the SEC, believe it or not. That is a tough pill to swallow, but that's the reality we're sitting in right now. We'll get more into this with Ben in just a little bit as uh, we'll continue here on this Sunday morning. Didn't get much better for the Billikens yesterday at home. They almost get it done. But again, that doesn't count so much when you're playing one of the worst teams in the A-10, Fordham. The Billikens lose 67-65. to And Fordham had never beaten the Billikens before. Ed Chaffetz, well... Check that one off the list. 67-65 was the final. Exciting game in the end. You certainly give the Billikens credit there. Uh, Bradley Azuaro with uh, 15 points, six rebounds, had a block, had a steal. But Kyle Rhodes, 26 for Fordham as uh, they take it down. 67-65, the Billikens, 8-14, and 14. One and eight in conference play. Illinois really are, are are saving grace right now. Although, as we look at the Valley, and hey, we're about a month away from March Madness. Maybe you're a Missouri State fan. They won four straight. They beat Belmont yesterday at home, eighty-seven to eighty. So throw the Missouri State Bears in the mix. Obviously, the Illini in the mix. As our local college basketball angles, we don't have many of them. 
But those would be the two that we have at the moment. We'll talk more about this with Ben Fred. Cardinals yesterday make it official. They have signed reliever Keenan Middleton on a one-year contract picked for both the White Sox and Yankees last year. He's only 30 years old. Maybe some upside there. I like the move by the Redbirds. More on that coming up in just a little bit. Let's get to our uh, soccer wrap-up this morning. This This is the Soccer Wrap-Up. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. Part of Sports Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. So we'll talk to Tom Timmerman about this coming up in a few minutes. St. Louis City SC winners at the LA Galaxy 2-1. Nuke V. Thorison with the game winner in the 88th minute. And Thorison is going to be a much more impactful player this year. Of course, remember, he was acquired late in the season last year. And he's starting to get into the mix a lot more. In fact, it was Lutz Fahnenstiel at his press conference last week that mentioned, yep, Nico is gone, but there were moves already done to prepare for a, a depart, not necessarily Nico's departure, but a, a, a move that would have eventually addressed it. And that's a, a move that at least was part of it being Nuke V. Thorison. So we'll talk to Tom T about his impact and what was a really nice performance by the home team yesterday out in California. Now, City's Academy team also in California yesterday, the U-20s in the UPSL championship. Now, this was moved up to last night weather concerns out in california they call it an atmospheric river it's probably going to bang the pebble beach pro-am today and and its final round on the pga tour they have not started yet and they may not play at all today but they got ahead of the game Uh, the city academy team won on friday night a quick turnaround they play last night as well and uh, ultimately wind up on the losing end but certainly nothing to hang your uh, your head about if you're uh if you're St. Louis City and they end up losing to the uh Chicago Fire by a score of 2 to 1 but again it turned out to be a a tremendous run by the academy team we talked to Dale Shilly about that on Friday and maybe the quick turnaround hurt you a little bit having to play just 24 hours later after winning in the semifinals but what a trek to get there and as Dale told us a lot of these guys playing considerably younger than the talent they're going up against so they showed quite a bit really impressive finish but uh, the City Academy team the U20s do lose yesterday in the UPSL final to the Chicago Fire final score was two to one. It's your soccer wrap-up. More of our soccer wrap-up when we come back after these commercial commercial messages. Tom Timmerman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, City Beat Writer, joins us to break down yesterday's win in California for the first team. It's Sports Sunday on the Big 550. Snars. What happened to the world of soccer this week? Let's find out on Soccer Wrap-Up on Sports Sunday. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. The Big 550 KTRS. It is our Soccer Wrap-Up on Sports Sunday. I'm Brendan Weesey. Pleased to welcome out of the program the beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch covering St. Louis City SC. And his podcast is STL Soccer Talk. The one and only Mr. Tom Timmerman. Tom T., good morning. 
Good morning to you, Brandon. I appreciate you taking a few minutes, Tom. Great performance by City yesterday afternoon. They get it done against the LA Galaxy. What were some of your impressions on the win? Um, you know, it's, obviously they played different groups in each half. So, the, you know, the first half and second half completely different. In the second half, uh, played against a lot of young players uh, from the Galaxy that they put out there after about the 60-minute mark. But, you know, the the young guys, I think, continue to show well. I mean, you see uh, Jose Kojima, the team's first-round draft pick, blocking a shot. He's, he's figuring in a lot of things right now. Uh, and Brendan McSorley, their third-round pick, who's – uh, getting a lot of chances uh, in the forward position. I don't know how much either of them are going to be a factor during the season, especially McSorley, uh, and they could get a lot of time on City too. But um, you know, it's a it's it's a good showing uh, from those guys to see him out there. You know, you continue. You can't read much into the lineups yet. They Leuven and Nielsen are still out of the country, uh, getting their uh, green cards, so they aren't out there, and so. You know, the combinations still don't matter. They will start mattering uh, this week uh, when they play. The team starts playing the regulars more, like 60 minutes or so. But, you know, I think, you know, just in talking to Carnell after the game, you know, he likes what he's seeing as far as the fundamentals and their principles go. And that's what he's really been looking for out of these first couple of games. And nice to see Nuke V. Thorson factor in that game-winning goal on a pass from AZ Jackson, Tom. And it's a guy, you know, this past week when we were talking with Lutz Fahnenstiel, and he brings up some of the guys that were, you know, designed to be a factor if somebody like a Nico moves on or if there are injuries. Uh, he, I think, touted Thorson as, as one of those potential guys to really step up. What did you make of his performance yesterday? And, and if you see him maybe on the fast track to being a more impactful guy in 2024. Yeah. You know, I, I asked Lutz about, you know, you, you get, if you have this opening, are you going to get anybody? And he said, well, was, you know, we got Thorson last year and with this kind of thing in mind, you know, Thorson didn't get much of a chance last year. He came in, the season was already up and running. They were, you know, it was August when he got here. Um, it was just a, you know, not time for him to get up to speed, but now he, he has, and he is, and I think you're going to see, you know, a, a lot of him, they're counting on him a lot this year, but you start looking at, you know, the, the situation with this team, they got a lot of guys and, and they're going to need them, especially early in the year, but Thorson's a guy who's going to get a chance, especially Stroud's gone. Um, you know, Giochini's gone <clears throat> that creates a spot and he could be one of the guys, but you know, they're also looking at. Thomas Ostrock, um, you know, being a factor this year, you have both Chris Durkin and Jabu Blum at the, at the sixth position. So how are they going to, you know, get them? Can they, can they play them both at the same time? Carnell thinks they can. So, but Thorson is a guy, you know, he has scored goals, albeit in Iceland. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's a guy that does know how to score. And so they're hoping, uh, you know, he gets that chance this year, but it's going to be interesting to see how the, the attacking positions sort themselves out because they got they got a bunch of options. Yeah, they they certainly do. And with as you mentioned, with uh, with with Leuven and Nielsen still out of the country, getting their uh, you know green card situated, it it does open up some of these opportunities. But Tom, is that you know maybe going to give us? 
a, a clearer picture once you can get those two, you can get Leuven and Nielsen into the mix. That's going to give us more of a, of a clearer picture as to what a, a regular lineup is going to look like, right? Yeah, and we may not even see that in the next preseason game against the LAFC, I think on Wednesday, but in, because Nielsen and Leuven will just be back uh, by then, and so they may not be ready to go. Uh, you know, and play the 60 minutes uh, that the starters will probably get in that game. And who knows where Nicholas Dürer, the Danish left back, figures in by that time. So it may not be until the uh, the NYCFC game at the end of the California camp where uh, things start to come together as to what this team looks like. But they're going to need a lot of players early on. They've got, you know, four games in two weeks to start. And the second and third games, you know, they have a league game on Saturday and then a Champions Cup game the following Tuesday. And that's too quick to use probably anybody, you know, more than 15 minutes in both games. So, you know, if you the starters in the Saturday, uh, February 24, um, you know, MLS regular season opener, it's going to be an entirely different lineup when they play the second Champions Cup game the next week so they're going to need 22 guys ready to go by then tom what do you got on the uh, stl soccer talk podcast right now what do we got uh you know we we've got kind of a longer take on the week in soccer on on uh you know bradley carnell's contract extension uh the, the meaning of green cards uh and the new faces showing up and uh and how they fit in because it was a uh, it was a busy week sure uh, was for st louis city soccer well, I appreciate the time this morning, Tom. This uh, hour always moves fast. I appreciate you taking a few minutes with us, and I uh, look forward to catching up here real soon. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Tom. That's Tom Timmerman. I'm Brendan Weesey. Ben Fredrickson coming up with me here in mere moments. It's our Tiger Talk, uh, our Tiger Tales segment. Tiger Tales is on the air. Spins back a reverse layup. Good. And Missouri's got the lead at 57. 56 with 11-18 to play. A recap of the latest Tigers basketball game. Here's Ben Fredrickson and Brendan Nisi on the Big 550. KTRS. Let's do some Tiger Tales on this Sunday morning. Brendan Nisi, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ben Fredrickson, another Mizzou loss. This might be rock bottom. Ben, there's nothing positive that I can draw from where you lose to Vanderbilt. Close, blowout, somewhere in between. This feels like the worst of the worst so far. Well, now it was on the road. So, we, okay, no, I, no, I won't even try. No. Um, look, the, it is. It, it, I, I don't know how it could be more than rock bottom. Um you've lost to the only team in the conference that didn't have a win. Um, the only good thing about this game on, uh, on probably one of the best days of college basketball that we've had across the country so yep, far, yep. this might've been the least interesting <laughs> game, unfortunately. And the only good thing about it was that one of the teams was going to have to leave with a victory and it's Vanderbilt. So Missouri trudges on, they've got eight chances left in conference play to come up with a win and last night was kind of the first time and I don't think I'm the only one who's starting to wonder about this if I thought man they they may go through the conference season without a win man they may they may 
finish the conference season without a single victory. And I, I say that knowing that there are some games that are on paper winnable moving forward, but I also see rematches with teams they've already lost to. And I see it through the lens of the calendar where it's getting to crunch time now. And a lot of these teams are in the tournament or hanging out around the bubble and they're going to be in kill mode uh, trying to improve their NCAA tournament chances. And they're going to see, they're going to see this Missouri team as, as an easy mark here. So there's really no positive spin to put on it other than Missouri's just got to keep its chin up, keep trying to, to get a win and keep trying to pour opportunities toward the guys who are going to be a part of turning this thing around next season. That's really all there is to say right now. What bothers me, Ben, is that this team is seemingly getting worse. There, yep. there aren't improvements happening. You get out-rebounded yesterday by, what was it? I, I mean, I think Vanderbilt puts up 42 rebounds. You're out yeah, double digits on the on the wrong end of the rebounding margin. Yeah, 42 to 31. To Vanderbilt. Yep. Uh, there's just I I can't I, I can't bring myself to understand how something like that could happen. And it's another game where okay, Noah Carter pretty good yesterday, got off to a great start. And it's the same script. Like I said, they didn't follow it against Arkansas. But the announcers are like, wow, wow, Mizzou's knocking down all these shots early. They do that every game. They come right. out of the gates for the most part with their hair on fire. The problem is they're giving up shots, easy shots, to the other team. Vanderbilt's knocking down threes left and right early, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. Now, granted, their three-point percentage would go down as the game went on, but Vanderbilt followed the script that everybody else has. Attack Mizzou, drive to the hoop. Vanderbilt's looking like the more athletic team against Mizzou. That's a big problem as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, you can't – again, it's one of those games where you can't really point to, well, at least some of the younger guys got some experience. I mean, Jordan Butler started. He only played 11 minutes. Um, Aiden Shaw played 11 minutes. Um, Anthony Robinson the second played 11 minutes. You know, the guys who are not coming back, you know, Noah Carter, um, Sean East, Nick Honor all played 30-plus minutes. Now, Tamar Bates played a team-high 38. He's their best player. He's back. That's great. I, I, at some point, like, I understand that Gates wants to build things off of practice. I get that. But at some point, you got to start finding more than 11 minutes for some of these guys who are going to have to be a part of this thing next year. And you got to stop shoveling minutes toward guys who are going to be gone. Um, it's just the reality. And if if that if if that doesn't show in practice, then maybe you have to say, okay, we're going to give some guys to do some things in games that they haven't done in practice. Because clearly, the guys who are performing in practice, they're not getting it done in games. Um, and that that conversation needs to happen. And there have been there have been moments of it. And starting Butler is great, but starting him and allowing him to play 11 minutes. And look, I'm not sitting here saying that these guys are. The, these guys playing are going to lead them to more wins. I'm not saying that at all. It probably may, it may lead to worse losses, but there's a benefit in doing it. And if you're going to lose, lose in a way that can actually build some things for next season. I, I think he's got to start ramping up some of these younger guys minutes. He's playing them and he's, he's starting them at times, but uh, goodness, you're, you're throwing huge minutes still at underperforming veterans. Um, and, and I think there's a better, a better way to do it. I really do. At this point in the season, this team takes this team takes poor shots. Their shot selection is bad. 
And if you shoot it early in the possession and it's a good shot, I'm all about that. If you're taking an open three, which is what we think they want to do, game in, game out, just chuck threes, I'm down for that. But last year, this team was one of the better passing teams in the country, Ben. And that's something that really stands out to me. And you lose Kobe, you lose Demoyhage, obviously two tremendous guys that have gone on to the pros. But it should still be an aspect of this team. Okay, you're not the most athletic team in the SEC, fine. You can still move without the basketball. You can still space the floor. And you can still find a shot that is um, a, a good shot in the flow of the offense. What I hate is, well, you know, they shoot threes. Nick Honor or Noah Carter will come down the floor and they'll chuck it with a with a guy and a hand in their face. Why not make an extra pass to where maybe it's Sean East making uh, taking a three that's somewhat open? Um, I, I I think I, I saw a complaint at the end of yesterday's game where where it was still again it was close. M- Mizzou had a chance um, yep. in the final couple of minutes. Kurt Lewis took a three in the left corner, and I think. It wasn't quite wide open. Some wondered. I think the guys on the broadcast team wondered, was there another pass he could have made? Maybe. Maybe there was just that one more pass. Who's who's like the ideal guy to take a shot in the flow of the offense? Maybe it wasn't Kurt Lewis. Maybe there was one more pass to make where you get a good look and that can still be somewhat quick in the flow of the offense within the shot clock. There, it's just shot selection to me, Ben, has is to me very high on the list of of problems with this team, and they're just they don't follow the script of of what Coach Gates still preaches: threes and shots at the rim, and their shots at the rim. The Noah Carter post up their defender. I, I almost don't count that. That shouldn't count as the, as the points in the paint this team is looking for. The points in the paint should come in transition, trying to get to the bucket, trying to draw fouls. This team, man, if you take it to the basket, there's a good chance you're going to get a foul called. And from Mizzou's perspective, that's all they do defensively is foul. That's their name well, of the game, and yeah, it's it's it, tough to watch. A couple numbers that jump out to me, um, and these are kid and palm numbers, but I think they're noteworthy here. Missouri's allowing an offensive rebound percentage that is 345th in the nation. That is their defense allowing opponents offensive rebounds. They're 345th in the country at allowing opponents to grab offensive rebounds. Um, they're 245th at creating offensive rebounds on their own end. Um, they are they are 311th in the nation at free throws attempted per field goal attempted. Um, and they're they're one of the one of the worst teams at allowing that on the other end. 315th and that's 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 not you want to be you want to be high on this list they're low on allowing opponents to get to the free throw line for field goal attempts and it could could actually be worse believe it or not because those opponents are only shooting like 76 percent from the free throw line against mizzou um that's like one of the worst (laughs) the worst opponent free throw percentages in the country that's not mizzou doing anything to stop that um i don't think all respect to the student section at Mizzou. I don't think they get credit for that percentage. That's just luck. Uh, imagine if opponents were shooting 80% from the free throw line against these guys, what some of these scores would look like with how they foul. Um, these numbers are in the red um, nationally among Division One teams, and it's really hard to win that way. 
and you better you better come up with opportunistic steals if you're going to do that. Missouri has a high steal percentage, but not as high as it was last year. They're a top 40 team in, in creating in creating steals. Um, and but it's not uh, you know it, it's not like it was last season where everybody was looking over their shoulder all the time and they're not making three pointers as well. Um, you know they're a, they're a, they're making thirty less than thirty three percent of their three pointers. That's like two hundred twentieth in the country. So when I when we say and we've said this a lot that this team is not doing the things it's supposed to do well um, and it's not good. It's getting worse at the things that it knows it's not strong at but needs to be competitive in it's the tale of two those two things and those are some numbers behind it that kind of illustrate it um vanderbilt i think is probably the worst team missouri will play the rest of the way yep yep um you can make a case that arkansas is also but arkansas just tore them limb from limb they did arkansas is way more athletic and beat them handily at home i don't think that's a good matchup for mizzou and i don't think that that Arkansas um, is going to be anything but encouraged by how it played against these guys last time. Um, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can get one against against Texas A&M or Mississippi State. Maybe they can get one against Florida. But uh, Auburn is thrashing teams. Um, you know, LSU has 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 put a hurting on the team on some teams lately. I mean, it, it doesn't. It gets harder. I know that you and I have talked about a lot of winnable games, and that's true. But this this schedule now. The, the winnable the most winnable games are behind them and they didn't do it so now it's going to have to be it's going to have to be a, a better performance than we've seen them have since they went out and beat you know Wichita State or went and beat Pittsburgh that's what's crazy I mean Pittsburgh is one of the only teams in the country that have beaten Duke other than North Carolina and this this Missouri team although they had you know they had Caleb Grill at the time they went and beat Pittsburgh by seven points on the road before the close of November, Pittsburgh's gotten better, um, but Missouri's getting worse. And I think that's the conclusion now to take away from these last two games. And, and it's understandable to some degree because they're playing under a lot of the pressure and weight and frustration of this this losing streak. Uh, but I do think we're seeing this team take a step in the wrong direction, not the better one, and that's discouraging. And don't forget, they beat Minnesota on the road, too, and Minnesota's jumped yeah. onto the bubble. They that, was, that was more yesterday. of a Minnesota collapse than – I, yeah, I think, but I mean, you, you and I can you, we can agree to disagree. I think the Pittsburgh win was more impressive. It was than beating Minnesota because I don't was. think Minnesota Minnesota lit themselves on fire and Missouri just just stood there and watched it burn. Kind kind of <laughs> sort of, but that Minnesota game reminded me of how they played last year, where they where they managed to pull games out from the depths and they played with yeah, confidence. Fair. That's part of the problem yeah. right now is this Mizzou team plays totally. with, with zero confidence. And one more thing, one of the more eye opening scores from yesterday when it comes to Mizzou was that Arkansas lost by 20-plus to LSU after demolishing Mizzou. And I think for some of us, we thought, okay, here comes Coach Muss again. He did mm-hmm. it last year where Arkansas got off to a bad start and then took them all the way to the Sweet 16 again. Arkansas is really bad, and they're really bad defensively, and Mizzou didn't, couldn't anything consistent against them until it was garbage time on Wednesday. That, to me, Ben, was one of the more eye-opening moments from yesterday that Mizzou struggled so much against a, a bad Arkansas team that they couldn't put up more that that should have been a that should have been a golden opportunity for a win now yeah I, I don't know where or when it comes they it, it is the same song and dance every single game and I get it now it's it's waiting till next year but 
I I have to at least send up a flare, and, and I've been hinting at it for the last couple of weeks. Man, show me where there's a guarantee that it's that this is better than next season, other than the freshman talent coming in. Look at what these freshmen are doing. Not much. I, I mean, color me now concerned. Color me concerned, Ben, for next year and beyond because this has been an absolute disaster. Yeah, and I don't take that lightly because you've been one of the more patient and, uh, you know, uh, kind of calm voices talking about this team. You don't look for reasons to say the sky is falling. I don't think they are. I think what you're saying and what I'm what I've been advocating for going back to the bragging rights game was it for me. I was like, okay, this season it's not going where people think it's going or hope it's going. And it's better. It would be better to just call it now and, and try to start shifting some things around. Of course, maybe easy to say harder to do, but what you're saying to me is exactly why 11 minutes for some of these guys, these freshmen, it's not enough. Um, You have to find out what you have. You have to find out if there's something there that an off season can lead to better results, because if not, it may affect what you need to do in the transfer portal. It may affect that. It may affect, you know, how you need to go about things. And this notion that, that practice is determining all these minutes. Okay. Has anyone stopped and thought about maybe the notion that this team was had an inflated view of itself because it's under talented and has been practicing against each other. Like that's a real thing. We hear that sometimes. Well, this, you know, in practice, the practices are super competitive. Well, if your ones and twos aren't, don't have much separation, you either got a really good team or you got a team of ones that kind of looks like the twos. And that's what we're seeing when they go out and play these SEC teams. It's like, well, it it works in practice. Well, it works in practice against your own players. And, And I'm not trying to be mean, but there's a talent gap. And there are young players on this team that have, should have, talent that some of the older guys don't you are you know you're at a point now where there's nothing to play for in the postseason you can't let your pillars of your program get away you want to keep the team together but you've got to start thinking about the future now if there's one benefit to a season like this it allows you to basically turn it into preparation for next season and if i'm gates that's what I'm talking about moving forward. And if it hurts feelings, so be it. These guys had their chances. They didn't capitalize, got some bad luck with injuries. Maybe there's been some bad luck with outcomes of games. You got good luck with outcomes of games last year. Luck is a real thing, but I'm not going to sacrifice people being potentially excited about next year by trying to, you know, ride this thing through the finish line to nowhere. I'm going to start making changes. I'm going to start handing out more minutes to guys with more upside and if in my message, if it doesn't work in terms of wins, it's going to be like, we're building this for next year. And I think people would be receptive to that. And I think it's the best thing you can do to try to address that concern that you just noted on feeling and it's valid. Yeah, it's it's gotten to the point of uh, no return here. And, and yeah, I'd love to see something in the uh, something in the form of looking towards next year. It's it's uh, certainly gotten to that point what about a starting lineup of only guys who will be back next year just for a game yeah i mean why not you could do it i mean your best player is back tamar bates um you know play him with with butler play him with with uh with anthony robinson play him with play him with kurt lewis if he's going to be back i mean this guy's got another year of eligibility left right i mean who knows if he'll wind up come back because he's barely playing right <laughs> and he's a little sure more he, lately sure he's disappointed by that but um you know play start playing lineups that are guys who are going to be back next year and it's tough 
and it's it's frustrating and it, i'm sure that you know the noah the noah carters and the nick honors won't be happy and I, you got to play sean east he's one of the better plays in the sec but but and i know that noah carter led him in scoring last night but this team it's not it doesn't have a good record when noah carter leads them in scoring no, go it check doesn't. it out yeah. um that's not what he's designed to do and these guys have had this whole time to to, to tilt the team in their direction I, I think it's time for gates to start not just giving opportunities to the young guys but for to put pressure on them in terms of this is your team now um what are you going to do about it I, I think there's i think there's upside in that even if there are some growing pains that come with it but you got to play in more than 11 minutes some some positive mizzou news ben comes from the uh, senior bowl yesterday we talked a lot about darius robinson was named the practice player of the week that's how dominant he was he was getting glowing reviews everywhere you looked we didn't talk on friday as much though about cody schrader who also played great in practice was impressive in the senior bowl game itself yesterday ben and getting some comparisons to one thurman thomas how about that the former buffalo bill and pro football hall of famer that's not a bad thing how about that um look curtis looper has really um, been singing the praises of Cody Schrader to anyone who will listen. But it's beyond that. Um, Curtis Looper, Missouri's running back coach, he uh, he has a connection with Thurman Thomas, of course, the Hall of Fame running back who is pretty similar in build and stature and perhaps style to, to Cody. And uh, Looper has been saying, look, this guy's got some Thurman Thomas in him. I'm comparing them to – to the way in which they play, the, the toughness that they have, um, you know, the, the, their body types. And it was cool to see some photos of Cody Schrader pop up at the um, at the Senior Bowl with none other than Thurman Thomas. They got a picture there standing next to each other. I think I think Thurman Thomas was listed at 5'10". I think Cody's 5'9". They're both probably about 5'8". Um, and in real life, but uh, I thought that was really cool to see um, those guys hanging out, and it's a little thing, right? But maybe it's something that opens up some NFL teams' eyes or scouts' eyes. So like, yeah, remember there are—you don't have to be a big, tall running back. You don't have to be the world's fastest running back to be effective. Um, Thurman Thomas, of course, proved that. There have been a ton of other running backs who proved that. Look at the guy in kansas city pacheco who runs like a scalded dog i mean there's a there's a a place for cody schrader in the league and it it was cool to see him getting some of that love at senior bowl not surprising but good for his his stock as well and no doubt about it uh, looking forward to seeing some of those draft boards Uh, i don't know if he's going to be a first round well he's not going to cody's not going to be a first round guy but see if ben if he gets drafted if he gets drafted it, it is just such a massive win for him and and the developmental program there at Mizzou. Running back, man, it's tough to, to find a, a spot to get drafted these days. But if he winds up somewhere in the middle rounds, man, look out because that that tells me there are a team that there's going to be a team out there that, that has big plans for him. If you're a, a, an undrafted free agent, becomes you can pick your team, which is good, but you don't know how or when or if you factor into the plans. If you get drafted in the middle rounds, which I started to hear a little bit of that buzz, then that that's the kind of spot for running backs these days that could lead to big things. Yeah, and I would just point out, too, this is not a small number. Cody's rushing yards, one tick under 1,500, is 365 more than the closest SEC player this season. 
that was that was in December. I mean, this guy, what he did, it wasn't a um, it wasn't a fun story. It wasn't a oh that's that's cute. Look at the division to walk on becoming a starter. It was dominant. He made college football an SEC. He made SEC history for for what he did against Tennessee. This guy wasn't um, as as Eli Drinkwitz kept reminding people. This isn't some feel good chicken soup for the soul story. It is, but it's also <laughs> a dominant college football story and hopefully the nfl gets that through its head too no doubt about it um one more story with you ben before we say goodbye for the day cardinals found another reliever this was the one more piece maybe we were this this isn't they didn't go on getting matt carpenter you didn't go out and try to bring back <laughs> carlos martinez or seth manis <laughs> Oh my God, that'd be something. I wonder yeah. where Carlos has anyone, know. Does anyone know where know. Carlos Martinez is right now? Let's uh, let's send out an APB. Maybe we could find him. Maybe that's a a where are they now story for you oh, uh, in, the, in the days and weeks to come. <laughs> is Randy is Randy Chode out there? Anywhere? Oh man! But uh, how about Keenan Middleton, a guy that's still got some good years left? You would figure in his career, pitched for the Yankees and White Sox last season, more strikeouts than innings pitched. That's always a plus. One-year contract, Ben. It, it surprises me that a guy like this would still be available this late in baseball's offseason, but I don't want to focus on any potential negatives. I like this move for the Cardinals. Yeah, man, I think this is a good pickup, and maybe he wasn't in that Josh Hader um, you know, uh, camp of guys or, or, you know, some of the some of the Raldis Chapman, you know, the, the name brand guys, but I'm okay with non-name brand relievers. I've I've been on that. You and I have talked a lot about that. I think we agree that it's it's paying for name brand in, in the bullpen is risky. Um, this guy has some credentials, some recent statistics that I think people will like and be encouraged by if they are willing to to look into them a little bit. He pitched pretty well for the White Sox. I mean, the disastrous White Sox last season. Um, he was uh, you know above league average reliever in Chicago. Um, and then he got flipped to the Yankees and he took off. And, and that's not surprising. The fact that he was with a competent team um, that wasn't on fire and he pitched better. Uh, that think bodes well for hopefully how the Cardinals can use him next season. The Cardinals were on fire last season. They're not planning on being on fire this season. But in 14 innings, uh, 12 appearances for the Yankees, he had a 1.88 ERA. Um, that He was like, uh, you know, at a 235 adjusted ERA, which is, really what you want to see in like a high leverage type reliever. He's not a guy who absolutely has to be a closer. He's got some flexibility to his, his usage. And he was averaging, you know, last see all oh, the course of last season, he was averaging 11, 11.4 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, that's the kind of stuff that the Cardinals have been missing in their bullpen. That adds that swing and miss stuff. He's got a fastball that averages, you know, high nineties. Um, they feel like, He's going to really bulk up their right-handed kind of power swing and miss capability from from their bullpen. And they've added now, I think it's six from the start of, you know, going into last season when they started trying to pick some of these guys up because they were working toward last season by the end of last year. Uh, they were toward this season by the end of last season. They've added like six relievers. Um, a lot of them are right-handed with some, with some pretty good velo. And I think what they hope is that they all kind of bring some different looks to this bullpen. So – They've really thrown arms at this bullpen, and they're hoping that they get to spring training and figure out who sticks. But Keenan Middleton certainly will be in the mix. Um, not in the mix. He's a, he's a part of this, um, along with um, Kittredge, the, the reliever they traded for for Tampa. So they've got some veteran experience with hopefully some future upside. It, 
picked up in some of these moves, and I kind of like what they've done in this bullpen so far. Walk rate, I think they're done now with the bullpen. Walk rate a little high, but uh, lowered the home run rate when he got to the Yankees, so that's that's a good thing. That, that was his breakout season, Ben. Up until last year, he he had been kind of a middling guy, not to, not to throw a pun out there for Mr. Middleton, but I think – Hopefully that's a springboard for him where he's got a few good years that uh, maybe can be here in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's still relatively young. He's right. only 30. He's not some, uh, you know, 40-year-old reliever who's trying to trick people. He's got some some juice and some gas left. And, um, you know, there's something to be said here. I saw some folks saying, well, why should anybody in the team add guys from – the White Sox, they were such a disaster. Some people brought that up about Lance Lynn. I actually kind of view it the opposite way. I think when you're a part of a team that's – look, the, the Cardinals were really bad last year. They weren't White Sox level of dysfunction. Um, and, and maybe when you bring a, guys who are, who are from a team that had been struggling so much just in terms of culture and, and having guys be on the same page, maybe there's kind of an increased – interest and having the opposite of that so uh, i'm not down on former white Sox guys uh, and i think that this is a pretty good pickup for the cardinals Um, it was interesting though that there was a lot of speculation a lot of links a lot of mutual interest between the cardinals and and phil maton the guy who was from uh, just outside of springfield illinois um, former astros reliever i mean would have been a really good pickup immediately after this middleton signing um, he signs with tampa so it was pretty clear that the Cardinals were going down to the wire with these two guys. And, and for whatever reason, whether Middleton agreed first or the Cardinals prioritized him more, they went with Middleton. So watching Middleton versus Matan could be interesting yeah, this season. Very much could be for sure. And later on this week, Ben, I would like to touch on your column about former Cardinals to watch out for next year. You had a couple of interesting picks in your column. Uh, we'll chat about that hopefully throughout the course of the week at some point. But um, appreciate it, sir, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you on a Tuesday. Sounds good, man. Have a good Sunday, everybody. That's Ben. I'm Brendan saying so long for now here on the Big 550 KTRS.